0: Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I was 27 years old.
1: I was the age that my shepherd would be today. I wasn't a newlywed been married for about a year and a half, two years, something like that. My firstborn son, Caleb, uh, was just a few months old. I was a new dad. My wife and I were planning on serving as missionaries, and in my mind, we were going to go to Mozambique. Um, We were going to go with the International Mission Board. But to do that, I had to serve in a local church for two years. And uh, so... Uh, my pastor who mentored me, his name was Pastor Holland, and Larry, Larry told me, he said, Jimmy, he said, you won't make a difference in any church unless you stay at least five years. Well, I'm, I'm, I guess personality-wise or whatever, I, I just had a problem with using any church as a stepping stone to my ministry. And if Larry told me that I would make a difference unless I stayed somewhere for five years, well, I was determined to do that. That doesn't mean that God can't use missionaries who served in local churches for just two years and went to the mission field. I think had we done that, I think if we had to just come with that sort of commitment, Ann and I may have not have served here all these years. We may, have, we may have ended up on the mission field, but that's water under the bridge and not anything I can know for sure. But we decided to stay five years. We were living in Fort Worth, Texas, And I had to do two, I had to do 20 hours or, you know, I had to do a year at a Southern Baptist school because I hadn't attended a, I got my master's degree from a a school that was not a Southern Baptist school at the time. And uh, so, but we, we had finished those 20 hours and we were thinking, well, we need to go back to Virginia. That's where we're from. We need to go back to Virginia and serve in Virginia. And it's funny, I don't know if she remembers this, if Ann remembers this, but we got a check in the mail from some friends of ours for $1,000 to use any way we wanted. And, and that, that was the money by which we rented a U-Haul to come back uh, to Virginia. And that was one of those times where, you know, people have these testimonies, these stories about God just providing right what you need when you need it. Well, that was a that was story for me and Ann at the time, you know, God providing that money. And uh, so we returned here to Virginia and we lived in Ivor because that's where my father was a pastor. He was a missionary. Uh, he had to step off the field because of uh, some health issues for my brother. And so he was pastoring in Ivor. And Ann and I went to to live with him and mom to, make, to, to wait on God to open up a door of opportunity. Now, it's a wonderful story. I don't have time to tell it this morning how uh, we ended up here. But God opened up a door for us to come and serve alongside uh, you guys so many years ago. Uh, I've told that story several times this week, so I guess that's kind of what's been neat, you know, just being able to reminisce and talk about that particular story. I will tell you that prior to you calling us to serve here with you guys, we'd come and looked at the building and at the parsonage over here, and Ann and I thought we would never go there. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but uh, we did come here, and we were really excited about, about coming here. I don't know how long ago it was, I found a little video that I made that I sent to my in-laws, it was a little over a minute long, telling them about the church. And I'd like you to watch it. So this is a video that I made back in 1987, uh, just probably November of 1987. So let's
0: see if it shows up. A few more minutes before I'm gonna take this video camera back. And I realize this isn't isn't too much uh, footage, but anyways, here's a church building. It's old built back in 1884 or something like that. That's my office over there. I got office hours in the morning, and in the afternoon try to do visiting, and I'm going out Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings and visiting people. So I take Thursday and Friday afternoons off, which isn't bad. And as I said, see this city. There's, there's a store I was telling you about earlier, and there's our house. You can see the top of our house, side of our house right there. So we're in walking distance. I walked to church today and uh anyways that's it i don't have time to take you all inside but uh, that's you got uh, you go in there and you got the auditorium and then this place right in here is uh, classrooms and that's a couple classrooms back there and you got a full basement and uh so we're gonna need some room pretty soon as the lord gives growth but uh, right now we're we're doing just fine
1: Talking right who is that guy talking well that that was me when i was very very young I don't know if you could pick up in my voice, but I was excited about being here. And I was excited about what God was going to do in the future in and through uh, our church. Uh, I was so hopeful that we would turn the world upside down. Did you notice that I said, we don't need any space just yet, but we will need more space. (laughs) Did you catch that? Uh, Who cared that Surrey only had 5,000 people? And who cared that there was probably more cows in Surrey than there were people at the time? I don't know. But there was a 350-acre cow field out our window, all that kind of stuff. Uh, who cared that we only had 60 people? I can remember, and, and Scott, you might remember this, in those first early years on Mondays, we, we, we made a map and we put pins everywhere we were, we were gone. And there was a song, Steve Camp had a song when I was young, and it was, I want to run a yard from the, uh, people are dying in the, we're, we're going to the ends of the earth, but people are dying in the, in the shadow of the steeple. And I can remember, I was like, well, that's not gonna happen here, man. We're gonna go to everybody in in the shadow of the steeple. And we started from here and we started just visiting door to door everywhere in Surrey. And I had a dream and I had a vision. And when I say that, I don't mean like you hear today. I mean, I didn't have, I never had a dream in the middle of the night. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not even talking about a vision where you just, you have it all laid out, right? But, but I had this desire. And I don't remember how many years it was, whether it was a year or, or, or a two or something like that. I was prompted to write down my dream statement for, for our church family, what I dreamed God would do here with us. And so taking my my cue from Martin Luther King's speech and using his speech as a template, I wrote down things that I dreamed for us as a church family. If you'd permit me, I'd like to read it to you. I wrote this 30 plus years ago, I think probably close to 34 years ago. Um, But I'd like to read it to you. I have a dream I have a dream of a place where people who are wounded, hurting, and searching can find love, acceptance, and forgiveness, cleansing, and restoration, and guidance, and encouragement. My dream is that God will build a church where people will be safe from backbiting, and gossip, and slander, and abuse, where people will prefer one another as more important than themselves, and be quick to defer to each other. It's a place where the love of 1 Corinthians 13 permeates the air. I have a dream of a church where everyone understands how important it is to reach our community for Jesus. And consequently, consequently everyone is intent and committed to share Jesus with every home and every person in the counties of Surrey and White and even reaching beyond. I have a dream of seeing the Bacon's Castle Church family grow to a number of over 500 covenanted members with many more in actual attendance. It is a dream to see a true membership reflected by actual participation and commitment. I have a dream of a church where all believers are encouraged to grow and progress towards spiritual maturity by providing the necessary helps of Bible study, small groups, personal one-on-one discipleship, seminars, and retreats, but at the same time realizing that not everyone's at the same place of spiritual maturity or spiritual hunger. I have a dream of preparing every Christian for significant ministry in the church or mission in the world, and at the same time, getting, to see, getting them to see everyone must help in both areas. It's helping folks discover their responsibility and the gifts that God has given them to meet that responsibility. I have a dream of a church where we prove the church growth experts wrong by growing at the same time, reaching more than one group of people interjection here. Church growth people say your church cannot grow unless you reach just one kind of person. All white, all black, all blue-collar, all white, all educated, all not educated. I went on to say that I had a dream of proving them wrong. The rich, the poor, the educated, the not so educated, the young, the old, the black, and the white. I have a dream of visibly demonstrating by our body that true biblical reconciliation is possible in the body of Christ and that black people and white people can come together under the banner of the cross in one church. I have a dream of a church where all believers can live in harmony despite the fact they disagree on non-essential doctrinal matters. It's a church where believers live out their convictions and are encouraged to share why they are so convicted. At the same time, afford others the opportunity to disagree and also share why. I have a dream of a church where the elders function as a team. They love one another, and they're absolutely sold out to allowing God to build His local church using them. They love the people they shepherd shepherd and are humble in heart and compassionate. They are wise and listen responsibly to the body. But ultimately, they follow the will of God. It's a dream where the body loves her elders and willingly submits to them and follows them. They trust their elders and help even if they don't understand or maybe even agree. I have a dream of one day starting new churches by providing a starting membership and leadership of the new church, including elders and pastors from within our own body of Christ. That was the 500 people thing. Then we would start a church by dividing in two. I have a dream of a church that is concerned about the unreached people groups and involved itself in world missions. It's a dream of sending yearly short-term mission teams to the world and seeing God raise up career missionaries from our midst. I have a dream of establishing a church facility which will enable us to grow and minister to the whole person spiritually, emotionally, physically, socially. This facility would be beautiful and yet simple and will include worship centers seating 500 or more people, classrooms for Bible study, and a counseling center to help people be free. A place for sharing meals together and a recreational area. My dream has always been that God might do this debt free. I have a dream that God might raise up a counseling center and counselors using the spiritual gifts among us in order to help people discover their freedom in Christ. And one more, and I have a dream that one day, and this was an add on a couple years later, I have a dream that one day this area called Bacon's Castle might be known for the church of the Lord Jesus that meets on the corner here rather than something else, including Nathaniel Bacon's plantation home fortress. When people speak of Bacon's Castle, I have a dream that they will say, oh, you mean where that church meets? Maybe you can't tell, I don't know, but I came here motivated to change the community. I came here wanting God to do just incredible things through us so that we would impact the world but we would we would impact here most of all i want to tell you this morning i'm not as idealistic anymore and and over the years my passion and my vision have waned but like david said in psalm 103 and from isaiah 40 Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and he strengthens the powerless. Youth may, may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on the wings like eagles, on wings like eagles, and they will run and not become weary, and they will walk and not faint. And I've walked with God for 40 years, and in these 40 years, he has restored my energy, he's restored my dream, Even when I was no longer dreaming it. Now, please don't misunderstand. It's not that it hasn't waned some from from what I read you a minute ago, right? But the Lord has kept me despite my stumbles and my falls and my failures. He has renewed my strength. I confess. I've lost sight of the dream of growing and then planting churches by us dividing because we were too big and we needed to start another church. I've lost sight of that dream. I lost sight of the dream of of creating a counseling center here where we just never never had, had people Man, the Lord just said, hey, there's somebody preparing for that. So who knows, uh, you know, I, but I kind of lost sight of that. I, I, I lost sight of our church breaking the racial barrier, though a new friend has been seeking to pour courage into me and saying, hey, you don't need to give up on that yet. But, uh, but this week, I, I felt the Lord challenge me to rekindle again in my own heart the dream that we can change our community that we can impact our neighbors in our neighborhoods. In other words, I felt like God began to say to me this week, and I know this is somewhat mystical, but as I'm sitting at my desk trying to say, God, what's next? I felt like the Lord said, hey, it's time to, to upset the apple cart in a good way. I don't know about you all, but we're an established church. We've been established since 1884, but, but we've had, we have another kind of establishment in our community for the last 30 years. But I don't want to be a church that's simply established on the corner here. I don't want us to be a church family that's just an established church where Christians who move into our community can come. I want them to come. But I want to be a church... I want us to be a family that transforms our community. I want us to be transformational, not just, not just being a church that's here. Did you know that after the resurrection of Jesus and right before he left or as he left, there, was, there was, seems to be about 120 people that were in the core. Now I think there was more than 120 people that were following Jesus, but there was, there was 120 people that were in the core. And, uh, and these men and women were gathered together, and God poured out his spirit on them. He baptized them in the Holy Spirit. He, he did, you might not like to turn that terminology, but he poured out his spirit upon them. And uh, you can read the story in Acts chapter 2, okay? But that very day, Peter would leave that room and preach to over 3,000 people. And it says that 3,000 people began to follow Jesus. And they transformed their community in such a way that in just just a few decades of time, the Apostle Paul would say, the gospel has gone out into all the world. The gospel's gone to all the world, he said. Now, he, that's metaphorically speaking. That's an exaggeration, I'm sure. And he's talking about the Roman world, the, the Roman Empire. But he's basically saying the gospel has gone to the entire Roman world. It's, it's, it's gone everywhere, he's saying. And, and those, those 120 people multiplied. Within 300 years, the, the emperor of Rome declared that all Roman citizens would be Christians, And I say that not because that was a good thing. That was a terrible thing. Listen, when when you equate an empire or a country as the same thing as the kingdom of God or as the body of Christ, you have linked two things that should never never be conflated. They should never be conflated. But I tell you that to say, look at the impact that those people had in just a few decades and then 300 years, even the whole Roman empire is declaring itself to be a Christian empire. Now, Jesus is coming to set up an eternal earthly kingdom that will never pass away. That's going to last forever. Um, if, if, it had been, if it had been Jesus' desire to set up an earthly kingdom, then he says, I, I, he never would have left. He would have said my followers, my followers would fight for me, but that's not my goal, that's not what I'm doing. But he is establishing a kingdom today. And the kingdom that he is, it is his kingdom. And he is establishing it, and he's establishing it in the hearts of his people. And what he desires of us as his kingdom people, what he desires of you, If you follow him, is that we change our community, that we impact our culture. He calls us salt and light. And he says we're to be salt and light in the community, whether we live here, whether we live in North Korea, whether we live in Afghanistan or Russia, it doesn't matter. The mission is the same for all believers in every country. We are to be salt and light in our communities where we live, and he wants us to change change our world as best we can through the power of the spirit by by letting him live through us. And so what I want to do in the next few weeks is I want to ask God through through these talks, through these messages, I want to ask him to rekindle the vision not only in my heart but in yours. And maybe rekindles not the right word. Maybe, maybe God needs to implant his vision in your heart. His desire in your heart to change the community. But I dare say what I think mostly what we need is we need God to rekindle his vision in, in our hearts. That's what I think we need most. Maybe you need to accept it for the very first time. But what I think most of us need is we need to rekindle it. So so my goal is going to be in these next weeks is to rekindle that passion, to be transformational as a church, to not be content with being an established church on this that meets on this corner or an established church of believers who live in Surrey in Alawite County. I don't want you and me to be content with that. I want us to desire more. I want us to desire that God would use us like he used the early church believers to just change the world and to change the world right here where, where we live. And, and so here, how am I going to do that? How do we rekindle the vision well, I think we go to scripture and I think we look at what, at what happened there amongst them and how it was that their vision was so kindled in the first place. And so that's what I'm going to do in the next weeks. But for today, I want to do one thing. I, I, I want to give you a fresh embrace. I want to call you to a fresh embrace of our King. I wanna call you to a fresh embrace of, of Jesus himself, our leader. I want you to embrace Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might, with all your strength. I want you to prioritize him. I want you to love him more than anything in the world. And I want you to follow him no matter how much it hurts, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much it costs you. I want you to love and follow him. And so I wanna give you a picture of this king. And I wanna do it through Matthew 16. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, verses 13 through verse 20. And this is an exchange between Jesus and his disciples. I'm just going to pick up and start reading Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they they replied, excuse me, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. and Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. That's probably a, a familiar exchange for most of you, maybe not all of you, but this particular passage is, is the basis by which the Roman Catholic Church builds its identity upon Peter. And they say that, that God has passed down um, apostolic leadership through Peter. We'll, we'll get to that, more of that in a minute. But, but what I want you to see this morning is I want you to see Jesus, and I want you to see him in such a way that you will embrace him afresh this morning. Maybe you've never embraced him. I'm going to challenge you to embrace Jesus this morning. But for most of us in this room, it's not about embracing Jesus. It's about renewing that embrace. It's about refreshing that. It's about saying, God, yes, I want to love Jesus with all my heart. So let's look at the text. And here's, here's what I, here's, I want you to embrace Jesus from the text for three reasons. Here's the first one. I want you to embrace Jesus because of who he is. In this encounter, Jesus begins and he asks his disciples, he says, guys, when you're out and about and you're talking to people, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, Jesus, they say you're like Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. They're probably saying that because Jesus is walking on water and raising dead people and, 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 and healing people's arms and restoring sight to the blind, something that never happens, right? It's probably the supernatural that they're, they're saying, well, this is the reincarnation of somebody great in the past. I don't really think Jesus gave a hoot about who everybody else was saying. I think he's setting up this next question. And the next question is, but guys, who do you say that I am? You see, if we're going to rekindle, if we're going to rekindle the vision, if we're going to say, God, we want to be a church that transforms culture and community, then I'll tell you what, we've got to catch a fresh vision of who Jesus is. So he asked them, who do you say that I am? And who do you say that the son of man is? That's his actual question. Who do you say the son of man is? And, and they say, and Peter answers for them. I think Peter answers for them just because he was, he was the most extroverted of them all, it seems. He was the guy that had no problem speaking before he thought. Although in this particular case, it just rolled right out. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So who is Jesus? In this exchange, I want you to see three descriptors of him. Three, three things that Jesus says about himself. So if you want to know who is this Jesus that you need to embrace, I'm going to give you three, three descriptors of who he is. First, he is uh, a son of man. Now, notice that Jesus refers to himself as, uh, who do they say the Son of Man is? That's the title that he uses for himself. So he, he's claiming, I am the Son of Man. What does that mean? I once didn't know. Maybe you don't know what that means. I'm going to tell you. Uh, most everyone believes, and I definitely believe, this comes from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was an Old Testament prophet, lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and Daniel had the distinction of being a prophet who saw an awful lot of the future, wrote it down in an apocalyptic way, that is through visions and symbols, but but when we interpret those symbols, it's really easy to see that he was absolutely right in everything that he said, which leads a lot of people who if you doubt the Bible or deny the Bible, you say, well there's no way Daniel wrote that because it's too accurate. In Daniel chapter seven, he has a vision. Let me read it to you, beginning in verse nine. Daniel says, "As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The Ancient of Days is a way of talking about God. His clothing was white like snow, and his hair, uh, the hair of his head, like the whitest wool. And his throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were blazing fire." And a river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served served him. Ten thousand, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. And then there's a little interjection in between there. I'm going to skip it. And he comes back to this vision in verse 13 and he says, And I continued watching... And the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people... Every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, the Ancient of Days is a title for God. And in this vision, Daniel sees God seated on a throne. Sees him like an old man with white hair. He sees all kinds of things in the vision. Did you notice? I mean, he sees fire coming out of the throne, rivers of fire. He sees tens upon thousands, tens and tens of thousands of people gathered around the ancient of days. And then he sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds and coming before God, the creator, walking into his presence. Now, when Jesus leaves the disciples, you remember this? He gathers them on a hill, or he gathers them. I guess it was on the Mount of Olives. And uh, and while he's there, he's taken up in the clouds into heaven. I think that when Jesus says, "I am a, the Son of Man." I think what he's doing, and most everyone does too, right? That he is making claim to be that person in Daniel's vision who comes with the clouds before God and walks into his presence. He's claiming to be uh, that man. Now, why does Jesus, why did Daniel call him one like a son of man? Why does Jesus take the claim, the son of man? Well, I think it's for this reason because Jesus is one of us. He is born of a woman, like everyone in this room and everyone who ever listens to this, you have been born of a woman. Now, Jesus was born different than us. Every one of you in this room, every one of you listening to my voice, you were born because two people came together and you were procreated out of that union. Most of them came together out of love, and and you are the result of that. But Jesus, though he was born to two, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife who loved each other, he was not born from their union. He was born because God, God created him. How do I say this? Jesus, Mary became pregnant by the work of God. And the the offspring that she bore would be Jesus, and the offspring that she bore would be called, because of that, the, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of Man, born of Mary, is now escorted into God's presence. Listen, the first person with a human nature is now standing in the presence of God in heaven. Let me say that again. The first person with a human nature is now standing in God's heaven in his presence. Whatever you believe about the intermediate state, about what happens to us when we die prior to the resurrection, we're at best disembodied spirits, and we are not incarnated beings. We are not people with a human nature, but Jesus is. Jesus has been risen from the dead and in his resurrection, he has a body like unto the one that we will have. He has a body that is resurrected and Jesus is fully human in his resurrection. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying he's human, his humanity, his humanity is glorified. His humanity is different than ours. We're all mortal. We're all going to die, but Jesus will die no more. Jesus is risen immortal and, and he is different, but he's the first being to stand in heaven with a human, with a human nature like ours but unlike ours. Let me go on. Here's the second description that we are given. So that's what Jesus says about himself. When Peter answers, he says, you are the Messiah. Okay. He identifies Jesus as the Messiah. Now, let me talk about that for just a minute. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word uh, for, it means in definition, anointed one. And that title, anointed one, became the title of this king that Israel believed God had promised would come. And he would rule over all the world. Now they misunderstood. They didn't totally get it, right? That this king would actually be more than just a a human king, right? But they had this vision or this this understanding that God was going to send this strong king, this righteous king, this good king. And he would be called the anointed one. That's what Messiah means, the anointed one. And by the way, just so you're not confused, if your Bible says Christ, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. So Christ means anointed one. But it's the title that, that, that this king had. And so when, when, when Peter says, you are the anointed one, you are the Messiah, he's ascribing to him, you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who was coming. You're the one we've been looking for. You are that king. And Jesus confirms Peter's identification. He says, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. This isn't, you didn't get this on your own. You got this because God revealed that to you. Now, we could say that God, the Spirit, whispered it in his ear, and maybe he did. I tend to think that God revealed it to him through the works of Jesus that Peter witnessed. But however however it happened, Jesus says, God revealed this to you, and he is confirming that, yes, indeed, you are right. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed king that you've been waiting for. Let's go back to Daniel 7. Daniel 7, one comes with the clouds, one like a son of man, which is Jesus in his humanity. Steps into the presence of God. And don't misunderstand. When I change, hey guys, I'm going to move this away. Make sure I'm on this. Or is this not working? I don't think it's working. You don't think it's working? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Just when I go forward and backward, it would change and it would just sound different. I got confused, Zero. So when when Jesus shows up, and I don't think that when Daniel saw what Daniel saw, I don't think that Daniel necessarily literally saw what he saw. <laughs> that was confusing, wasn't it? That was that was apocryphal language. What I mean by that, he's definitely seeing it, but I don't necessarily think that that's literally seeing what's happened. Does that makes sense. I understand what I'm trying to say? But what what he saw was. Jesus coming before God after his resurrection. And and here's what it says in the text. God gives to the son of man who's coming on the clouds, right? He gives to him dominion and glory and people from every people group and nation and language to serve him. The king will be forever. His kingdom will never end. It's never gonna go away. He has dominion forever. It will never pass away. Jesus was this eternal king whose kingdom was forever. And by the way, listen, that is the good news of the New Testament. Listen to what I'm saying. Because we, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you out loud what you think the good news is. Because I know what you think the good news is. But if you go to the New Testament, the good news is that the king has arrived and the kingdom of God has begun. That's the good news. Wherever you see good news where Jesus preaches, he's preaching the good news that the kingdom of God has arrived. That's good news. It's good news for you and me. The king had come, and the kingdom of God was now beginning. And listen, if we're going to turn the world upside down, we've got to embrace Jesus for who he is. Who is he? Man, he is fully human and yet resurrected. But he is also that eternal king that God had promised and now he's come and the kingdom has been given to him and it will never leave him. But that's not the, that's not the only two marks of this king. Here's the third one. It's Peter said, you are the Messiah, the say it, the what? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's, who, who, do you, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, I don't think that Peter understood that quite as clearly as maybe you and I understand it today. Okay, I don't think that. But, but he did understand, and we understand it clearly, that Jesus was not just human like us. He was God become human. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John would years later, looking back on his time with Jesus, looking back on his, his life now as, a, as, a, as an apostle, he would write this. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something here. Please don't be offended. But I'm going to jump forward to 1.13 in John where he identifies the Word as being Jesus. And I'm going to pick up Jesus and I'm going to go back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was Jesus the Word. And Jesus, the Word, was with God. And Jesus, the Word, was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Jesus, the Word. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. The Bible teaches, listen, I've shared this a lot lately, it, it just was so meaningful to me, it was from Nabil Qureshi, but, but we are one being in one person. If we're one being and more than one person, we've had a mental fracture, right? I mean, we're, we're called schizophrenic if we have more than one person in our being, right? But God is one person and yet he's always eternally been three distinct persons. He's different than us. And here's what the Bible says, that before God created anything, he decided in himself that Jesus, the second person of that trinity of persons, would one day couple himself with our creatureliness. He would join himself to us and become like us, so that he would be that anointed king who would rule and reign over us forever. And that was before God did anything, before God did any, any act of creation. Jesus, it was predestined for Jesus to become one of us so that he might rule over us and redeem us. So in John chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus is having a talk with Nicodemus, and he says, If I have told you about earthly things, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Then we'll skip a lot in the middle, and then go to 31 at the end of the chapter, his end of discussion with with Nicodemus and Jesus. He says, the one who comes from above, talking about himself, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's will. Words, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is fully man. But beloved, he's fully God and he's always been God. And he always will be God. You say, well, how can that be? I I don't know. There are things too great for me to understand. But I do know this, that the second person of this eternal God, who is one being in three persons, joined himself to our humanity. And he became one of us. And he is our anointed king. And when he came, the kingdom of God began in a way that... uh, the kingdom of God began in a way that uh, Jesus said, "The good news has arrived. I am here." So here we are, and and I'm trying to get us to, I'm trying to get us to embrace again this desire to change the world. To change our community, to, to be transformational as a church and not just an established church on the corner, but to desire to change the world. And I'm saying to you, if we're gonna do that, we've got to embrace Jesus for who he is. We've got to recognize that he's like us. I mean, the Bible says he was willing to humble himself. Can you imagine the eternal God who has no beginning, never been created? Can you imagine him? joining himself to the creatureliness that we have. What an, what an, what an incredible humility. And yet, yeah, that's who Jesus is. And he is the king who's been given the reign over all things. And he is God. And as the eternal king, he is worthy of your life. He's worthy of the surrender and submission of who you are to him. He is worthy for you to obey him. He is worthy for you to follow him. He is worthy for you to give up your desires for him. He is worthy for you to love him with every part of your being. That's who he is. And we've got to embrace that. No one created God. Jesus is the creator. So let me go on. The next points will go quickly. So if we're going to change the world, we've got to start by uh, embracing Jesus for who he is. But here's the second thing. We've got to embrace Jesus for what he's doing. Look at the text, verse 18. Jesus continues on with, with Peter's comment, or after responding to Peter's comment, did God reveal that to you, Peter? It's true. Verse 18, he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What is this king, this this son of God, this son of man doing? What is he doing? He tells us right here, he is presently building his church. Now the word church there... That's an old English word, but it translates. It translates the word "ekklesia" in the Greek, which is a compound word: "ek" out of and "ekklesia" called, and, and that Greek word translates the Hebrew word for assembly. So, so what the ekklesia is when it says that he is, he says, "I will build my ekklesia." What he's saying is, "I will build my kingdom by calling men and women out of the world to follow me." I will call them out to follow me. Now, now this text, I need to just comment on this. You know, uh, it's, it's been interpreted differently amongst the Catholic Church, the big C, the Roman Catholic Church, and, and, and others, non-Catholic churches. The, the Catholic Church says, Jesus is saying, you are Peter, and upon this rock, you know, to play on words, Peter means stone, rock means, you know, stone. They're saying that Jesus is saying he's going to build his church on Peter. And so and he, Peter passed down that apostolic authority after each person, right? I just don't, you know, just, it's not in the text. And Peter's fallen like the rest of us. And there's no indication anywhere in the scripture that God was going to pass down apostolic authority through Peter. So that's, that, I don't believe they're right. But, but the scripture, what, what does Jesus mean when he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church? Well, there is a sense in which God did build his church on the foundation of the apostles, okay? So there is a sense in which he could have meant Peter, but as a, not Peter per se, but Peter as a representative of all the apostles, I'm going to build my church on you guys. Because you're going to be the foundation. He calls them foundational stones, right? So they could be the foundation which he's going to build his church. And if you go on where he says, and I'm not going to deal with it any more than this, but he says, whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. That You know, when a... When a when a hebrew rabbi uh, said something was permissible it was it was said in those days that he was loosing something if he said something was a command that was wrong or whatever it was like he was binding it he was it was called the rabbi bound that you couldn't do that so it could be that jesus is saying you guys as the voice piece of the spirit as the early foundation of the church whatever you teach is going to be we're going to bind or loose based on you guys teaching that could be what he's saying in fact I kind of a kind of like that. Now, I'd always heard that that this should be interpreted this way, that you are Peter, little stone, and upon rock, another word, big stone, right, I'll build my church, and you are Peter, and on this big stone, your declaration that I am the Messiah, the Son of God, I'm going to build my church on that declaration. I think I'm still leaning, I think I'm still leaning there, but my point in all of that is simply to say, Jesus is building his church. That's what he's doing today. And if we're going to change the world, we've got to become involved with what he's doing. This is not what he's done in the past. This is not what he's doing in the future. This is what he's doing in the present and will continue to do in the future. He is building his church. And listen, I know some of your eschatology leads you to believe that it's going to be in the next few years that Jesus comes, and maybe He will. But you know what? It may be another century. It may be another millennium before Jesus comes. And whenever Jesus comes, whenever that is, we, His people, should be transformational because we are trying, we're going to be involved with Him in building His church. He's going to use us. He says He wants to use us to build His church. He's building it, but He wants to use Here's what Peter would say in one of his letters later on. He would say, as you come to Jesus, or as you come to him, that's speaking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to come again and physically he's going to reign everyone. I mean, his feet are going to step onto our planet and he's going to remove the curse and he's going to grant immortality to his people and, and we shall live together forever. And I like to think we're going to be sitting out by the bonfire in the evening, singing songs and praise to Jesus. And I like to think we're going to be working, and we're going to be having life. We're going to do water skiing and mountain climbing, and, and life it, it, life is going to be so good without the curse. And Jesus is going to, but He's going to come. He's going to be our King. But in the meantime, now God wants to use our lives to build His church, to build His building. God wants to use me, and he wants, not me as the pastor, me as Jimmy, the simple Christian, the guy who's following Jesus. He wants to use Jimmy, the follower of Jesus, to change my sphere of influence. And he wants to use you too, and I'm so tempted to just go around the room and name you. But he wants to use you. And there's some of you he's going to send to people's groups way away, right? But he wants to use us where we are right now to change the world. And you know, if we're going to change the world, we've got to embrace what he's doing now ourselves, which is building the church, building the ecclesia, building the called out ones. Jesus gave us this parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took to sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. I mean, that's a picture of what God is doing, and that's a picture of what he wants you to be about. But to do that, we've got to embrace Jesus for what he's doing, sharing the good news of the kingdom, inviting people to trust Jesus their king, and come join, come join us. Come join us under the banner of the cross. Come join us under, under Christ. And finally, from this exchange, I invite you to embrace Jesus as your king because of what he will do. He goes on and he says, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and then this is future, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now some of you are probably not going to like what I'm going to say here, but that's okay, we can, we can disagree on this. I will build my church as present, the gates of Hades not overpowering in his future. And I want to tell you that if you're reading the King James this morning or you're reading the ESV, you're reading a translation that translates that word wrong because the word there in in the... In the text, originally, was Hades, which translates the word Sheol from the Old Testament. When you see the word hell in your Bibles, most of the time it's translating it's translating the word Gehenna, which is the Valley of Henan. And the Valley of Henan has a long, uh, notorious background. The Valley of Henan was the place where in the Old Testament they sacrificed their children to Molech and to other pagan gods. Even Manasseh, one of the kings of Judah, would sacrifice one of his children to to the, gods of, uh, to the pagan gods in the Valley of Henan. And God would take the Valley of Henan and he would say, in that valley, I am going to destroy my enemies. And in Isaiah 66, we see where he's looking out over the Valley of Henan at the dead corpses of his enemies. And he looks on them with contempt where the fires do not end and the maggots do not die. And uh, he's, he's basically talking about the destruction of his, uh, of his enemies. I thought for years when I read the King James or whatever, and it said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I had this picture of Satan. He's in hell. Maybe you've got that same picture. you got that same picture. And here are the gates of hell. And I'm going to storm the gates of hell. Through the Lord Jesus, and there, those gates aren 't going to be able to resist me i 'm going to come in and rescue people captured in in hell, so to speak. That was how I understood that and i don 't think i, I don 't think I was alone. I think many of you would have said yeah that 's how I understood that text too, but the gates are not an offensive weapon, and, and we 're never told that Satan lives in hell. And we're never told to storm the gates of of hell at all. And the whole idea of demons in hell, I mean, that's not really in our Bibles. The word here is Hades. And the translation of that word, that's the the Greek translation of the Hebrew word sheol. Now sheol in the Old Testament is primarily the place of the dead. It's translated in your Bibles more times than not, the grave. It's the burial spot where you put people. It's the pit. So what I believe, and again, it's okay if you believe it means we're storming the gates of hell and we're going to rescue people. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. But I believe what Jesus means is something different. I think what he's saying is that the gates of death, the gates of Sheol, the gates of of where we've been buried will not overcome us because one day God's going to raise us from the dead. God's going to overcome death on our behalf and he's going to raise us back and we're going to rise again. I think that's what he means. I think that's what he's going to do. I think that's why we should embrace Jesus for what he will do because he will give to us eternal life. He will raise us from the dead. I don't think he's talking about overcoming Satan's powers in hell The truth of the matter is God's going to take the devil and he's going to cast him into the lake of fire in the final judgment, right? I mean, it's not like hell is this place where where Satan lives. And I mean, that's how all our jokes are, aren't they? That's how all our jokes are. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying this. On that day, my people will come forth and the gates of death, the gates of Sheol will not hold them back. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, always has been, but now more than ever, is 1 Corinthians 15. And in chapter 15, verse 20, here's what it says. But this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. But as it is, Jesus, the Messiah, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam, all of us die So also in Christ, all will be made alive for each in his own order. Messiah, the first fruits, Jesus first, Jesus, the only one to this point afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God to the father, excuse me, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. And then we go to the end of the chapter and listen to what he says. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We're not all going to fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, and at last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When his corruptible body is clothed with incorrupt, when this corruptible, corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is, your victory. Where death is, your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I might not be right how I understand what Jesus said, but I tell you, I'm telling you the truth here. Death won't hold us back on that day. The the gates of Sheol will not hold us back. Even if Jesus didn't mean it exactly like this, though I think he did. The grave won't keep us. We will rise from the dead. Embrace Jesus because in him alone do we possess immortality. And he alone possesses immortality, the Bible says. And he is willing to share his immortality with us. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus. So how do we change the world? How do we change our community? Here it is. We have to embrace Jesus as our leader. And I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you this morning. I want to invite you to embrace Jesus with your whole being, with everything in you. You know, the truth is this morning, God has been inviting you your entire life. Listen to me. You know, not all you'll agree with this, but that's okay. God has been inviting you your whole life. And the reason I know that is because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen in creation, in the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For, they, for though they knew God, they knew God. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. See, God's been, God's been calling you your entire life. Every time you've looked up at the stars, every time you've looked at the sun, every time you've looked at God's creation, I mean His Spirit has been drawing you and calling you. And um, and here's some here's something else. Chapter two of Romans: When the Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, are they not a law to themselves? Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this their competing thoughts, either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. In chapter two, he says, it's not just creation. It's in your heart. It's in your very heart. God has been calling you and drawing you. So, you know, I'm asking you to embrace Jesus this morning, but some of you just, you just keep rejecting Jesus. And by the way, I believe you're absolutely accountable. I believe you're response-able. I think you can respond to the call of God. Now, that doesn't mean that some of you haven't hardened your heart and hardened your heart. You know, the more you stop doing something or the more you do something, the more ingrained it becomes in you. And the more you reject God, the harder and harder your heart becomes. And your heart can be so hard. In fact, God says in that Romans 1 passage, he goes on to say, I gave them over. I gave them up to their unbelief and their hardness of heart. I'm calling you this morning. I'm calling you to embrace Jesus this morning. And if you're one of those who's never done it, you've never embraced Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, Lord, I believe and I want to follow you, then today's the day. I'm inviting you today to follow Jesus with all of your being. Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Come under me, come unto me and your life will be so different. Not necessarily easier, but it'll be so different because feel, he'll fill feel that emptiness in our heart that we talked about last week. Man, I want you to come unto Jesus now and help us, help us as a family, just change our community, change the world around us. Would you receive the Lord Jesus today if that's you? But most of us in this room, I mean, we we decided to follow Jesus maybe like me 40 years ago, but here's what happens. Our love for Jesus can grow cold. Our love for Jesus can wane. And today, I want to call you to something different. I want to call you to renew your passion for Jesus. I want to, I want to call you to love him more again, to renew your loyalty to him, to, to where if, if your commitment to him, your following him has grown cold, then I want to challenge you today. Follow him again with all your heart. Love him again. Acknowledge, your, acknowledge the fact that you've grown cold and say, Lord, I don't want to be cold anymore. I want to follow you with all of my heart. See, if we're gonna change the community and if we're gonna be a church that's not just an established church that meets here on this corner, but we're gonna be a church that's gonna go out and and change our world, then here's what's got to happen. You and I have gotta fall in love with Jesus all over or just increase our love or grow our love or reaffirm
0: our love for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.